Take your copy of God's Word this morning, if you will, and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. All of us are aware that our actions have definite consequences. We might not want to readily admit that, but we're all aware that certain actions, certain words, certain things that we do obviously have consequences. Think about some of the small things and the consequences that come in our lives. Let's say, for example, you decide that you're going to drink three cups of coffee after 6 p.m. in the evening. Will there be consequences? For most of us, probably there will be. I experienced that last night, by the way. My wife will counsel me from now on on Saturday evenings, and she will stop me. But you never know when you have just even small things that will bear consequences. Hey, every night of your life, eat bluebell ice cream. Dale? And there are consequences, are there not? Even lemon icebox can bring a consequence every now and then. Forget your anniversary. I guarantee you there'll be consequences, right? Hey, even those small things, even just like small things like that, bear out consequences in our lives. What we say, what we do, they bring forth consequences. And how difficult is it when we have entered into areas that we never should have gone? When we go into dark areas of our lives, when we give over to our temptations, when we give over to our impulses, what consequences can come? And that's what I want you to see today as we look in 2 Samuel chapter 12. We have talked about David and his life over the last few weeks, and uh, before long, we'll wrap it all up. We'll, we'll bring it all together. <coughs> Last night, Leslie looked at me and she said, when are you, what, what are you preaching next? Almost like, are you ever going to move on? I know she did not intend that because she actually said, I, don't, I didn't realize that we had been on David since January. I said, yep, we've been on David the whole year. We've talked a lot about his life, and we're beginning to see all of it come together, and we're wrapping it up. But in this place of being able to wrap it up, you've got to recognize that there were consequences, consequences of his actions. And the consequences demonstrated themselves in the problems of the palace. I want to read this. Again, Nathan is addressing David. Nathan has called David out. He has confronted him about his sin. And in verse 9, he says, Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife. And have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have, because you have despised me. And have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord. Behold, I will raise up adversary, adversity against you from your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly. 
But I will do this thing before all Israel, before the Son. Ooh. What painful, what difficult words that Nathan had to speak. As he looked at David, he said, hey, David, just know there are consequences to what you have done. Now, this is so difficult for us, I think, to try to, to, try to wrap our minds around. Because if we look back, we understand that God had forgiven David. I believe that. I believe that God forgave David of his sin. When, when, when David went before God and he poured his heart out to him and he confessed his sin. I mean, last week we talked about Psalm 51, this intimate prayer of David offering it to God. And I believe that God heard his prayer. I believe that God heard his heart. And I believe that God forgave him and cleansed him of his sin. I believe that with everything about my being. And I believe God still does those things. I believe when we come to confess our sins to him and we repent of our sins, we have a great God who washes us and cleanses us of everything that we have done wrong. Aren't, don't you believe that? Don't you believe that we have come from a line of sinners and that all we are today, those of us who are saved in this place, really all we are are sinners saved by grace. That he has cleansed us. I believe that. But how can a person be forgiven and there still be consequences? BK, as a pastor, I've had so many people to try to ask me that question in so many different ways. I came and accepted Christ. I, I gave my heart to him and I, I've received forgiveness. I believe that. But there are still the consequences. Why won't God just wipe this slate clean? It is a difficult question to answer. But what I've come to find out is that consequences remain even though forgiveness has been found. Oftentimes, consequences still remain. Now, spiritually speaking, my coming and accepting Christ and being cleansed, whether I was an unbeliever approaching God for the very first time and experiencing that spiritual cleansing, or whether I'm a believer and I'm just coming back in fellowship with God, in, in those ways, I believe God restores us, He reconciles us, he does a great work in our heart and life. But that does not mean that he removes every consequence, every physical, mental, emotional consequence from our lives. And I think that's what you see here. What he's going to tell David, obviously, is that forgiveness can be found. And he will experience a restored relationship with God. But the consequences remain. That seems so incompatible to some of us for us to be able to think about that or even try to reconcile it. But he says the consequences remain. And the consequences will be felt mostly within the family context. Mm. Sometimes I want to say, can we leave the family out of this, God? I mean, let me just bear the consequences. Just let me... but. The family. Hey, I do believe that some of the greatest blessings we have in life are relational blessings. I believe some of the greatest things that we can experience is in some type of relationship with one another. I, I love that God has put us, for example, in the context of the church to enjoy relationships. I believe that he has put us in the context of a family to enjoy relationships. They're a great blessing. But you and I know this, right? Right? 
it is within those relationships that we can experience the most pain as well. Some of us could stand and give testimony after testimony with our children, with our spouses, with our parents. Within that context of relationship, we experience some of the most difficult pain. And what God, through Nathan, says is that, David, you're going to experience the consequences. There's forgiveness, but you will experience consequences, and it will be within the family. How's that compatible? Well, I've been trying to think of, of different examples maybe that I can relate this to. Uh, and, and, of course, you all know by now I'm a very simple kind of guy, right? Yeah. You wanted amen, but you restrained. I saw that. I was thinking about it this week. Let, let's say that we have a child. I don't know, maybe your mind wasn't thinking or maybe you just whatever, and you had four children. I, I don't know, but <coughs> you know that your children do not always listen to you, right? Come on, folks. Come on, help me out. I'm praying yours don't listen to you, you either. I was hoping. Encourage me in my parenthood, all right? But sometimes our children do not listen to us. And they just do their own thing. They just do their own thing. Let's say, for example, you have a child that loves Skittles. And they love to eat Skittles, but they also love to take those Skittles and stuff them up their nose. I'm not saying I've lived this, not saying that. Well, some of my kids are like, why is he talking about? I've never put a Skittle up my nose. But let's say they just do that. And you say, no, you're not going to do it. Do not put another Skittle up your nose. Don't do that. And what do they do? They just keep putting the Skittles up. Not just another. They put another and another and another. Until finally one of them gets lodged and you're, you're angry and you're trying to get there. And you realize you're going to have to probably go see somebody. So you call like Dr. Bobby and he says, oh, it's that kid again. What in the world are they doing over there at that household? And, you know, they have to get it all situated. And you get home and you're aggravated and certain. Would you forgive them for sticking Skittles up their nose? Yes, you would. A few of you would. About four of you would. You would forgive them for that. You would. But you know what? You probably wouldn't let them have Skittles for a while. When they go into the grocery store and they find their way there, and I don't know why they put that stuff right when you can't go to pay for your, your groceries and all. It's all right there. And it's all where they can reach it. I think they're... Rob, would you talk to the state legislature? Y'all don't have anything else better to do. Would you talk to them about... I better move on. I better move on. That was not in script. I've got to move. You wouldn't give it to them. You'd probably, you might even, you might even say there's going to be some discipline here. Because you want to prevent that from happening again. In other words, you can forgive that child, but there's still consequences. Now, I know that's an elementary way of looking at it, but, but spiritually... The Father can forgive us, and the Father will forgive us. That's the blessing and hope that we have in Christ. He will forgive us. But there may still be consequences that last in our lives. 
there's still consequences that he puts there. Much more serious note is, you know, someone that has broken the law in some way, perhaps um, an individual that has embezzled a lot of money from their business, and because of that, your retirement is in question. Oh, how that happens. I remember working through that with so many people in Zachary after certain things that happened in the Baton Rouge area, and all of their retirement was gone, and there was a sense of, like, justice, and yet they would struggle. How do we forgive? How do we see just? You can forgive an individual, especially if they ask for forgiveness. Remember, too, I think there's something in a person repenting and asking for forgiveness before forgiveness can be truly given. But you can forgive individuals, and yet there's still consequences. You could forgive that person if they repented and they asked for forgiveness. You could forgive them for what they have done. But that doesn't mean that they don't have to serve so long for their crime. It can still remain. Consequences can. For David, consequences remain even though forgiveness had been found. David's fellowship with God restored, but the consequences remain. For example, you may come engrossed in materialism today. You've been trying to get everything you could. You've been trying to buy everything you could. And because of that, you are under a mountain of debt. Perhaps your credit cards are so maxed out, there's no way you could ever think about paying them all off. You come this morning, I promise you that God will forgive you of your spiritual debt. He will forgive you of that materialism. He'll, he'll forgive you of that type of lust. But your financial debt may remain. Your financial debt may remain. I wish we'd tell people the truth in our churches because so many times we say, follow Jesus and everything else will just go away and it'll be fine. Or that's the indication we give. That's not what I'm saying to you. You come to Jesus and yes, he will take care of your sin. He will forgive you and he will bless you. But my friends, there are still consequences in your life. But hey, this is getting ahead of myself. I do this sometimes, but I feel like I got to say it here. You can deal with those consequences a whole lot better when you got Jesus in your life. You come today and you say, Brother Reggie, I've been given to drunkenness for so long in my life. Because of that, I know that this cirrhosis of the liver has come about. Listen to me this morning. You can come to this place and God can heal your spiritual disease. But he may leave that physical disease in your life. Today you come and you say, I've been consumed by lust and it has led me to adultery and it has led me to broken relationships. God will restore your spiritual relationship, but your physical relationships, they may still struggle. We bear the scars of sin. Even though we've been healed, there are scars that we will bear. The pain of sin has a lasting impact upon our lives. It has a lasting impact upon our lives. But God can take those consequences. Listen to me. As Piper says, sometimes God will put consequences in our lives 
for punitive measures. But sometimes God will, especially for believers, believers in particular, God puts consequences in our lives to purify us for purification intent. Because once we see these things, once we're reminded, hey, once we're reminded of the consequences, we're reminded that the sin itself was not worth it and we don't want to do those things again. It is a preventive measure in our lives. It is because God loves us. The book of Proverbs says, For the Lord corrects those he loves, just as the Father corrects a child in whom he delights. Consequences to me are reminders that we will not make the same mistake again and again and again. So Nathan comes to David and he says, David, there are consequences. I want you to know this. I want you to know it up front. There are going to be grave consequences and they're going to be felt in your family in your house there will be problems in the palace because of your sin because i want to give you this truth as well and that is consequences are the natural harvest of the seeds that we've planted consequences can be the natural harvest of the seeds that we have planted again when nathan looks at him and he says To him, in verse 10, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me. Verse 11, I'll raise up adversity against you from your own house. Notice he's saying to them that, David, your kids and your grandkids are going to feel this. They're going to feel the consequences of what has occurred. Now, it's, it's very natural for kids and grandkids to really mimic their parents or their grandparents. Very natural for them to follow the model of their parents and grandparents. Don't you believe that? I mean, you, you see children sometimes and you see their mannerisms. You see the way in which they speak. How often is it that you can say, yeah, I can definitely see daddy coming out of her. I can, I can see her mama in her. Yeah, you can see those things. Parents, grandparents, they can have a direct influence. They can be examples. It's one of the reasons we've chosen to live at least six hours away from our grandparents or our kids. Just kidding, Mama, if you heard that on the little broadcast or so. Just kidding, Mom. Some people say, well, why such consequences? Why are the kids brought into this? Listen, this is natural. Notice, notice that the sins that will be committed within the family can be traced back to the same type of sins that David committed. In other words, when I say it's natural, it's that they looked at daddy and they did what daddy did. Because some of you will look at me and say, oh, it's so sad, it's so bad that they were destined to do what their dad... No, they were not destined necessarily... It's just the natural consequence of following a daddy that has been passive in his parenting and who has given his life to such sin. And it's just going to repeat, the cycle is. Hey, not every bad thing that happens is a consequence of a particular sin. I want to say that here. Jesus reminded us, right? 
that not every bad thing that happened to an individual was because of a specific particular sin. So I want you to hear that. But there are some consequences that are directly correlated with our personal sin. In other words, our sin has an influence upon others. And as parents and grandparents, our sin can have an influence. It can be an example for those who come after. But may I say this as well? This is a side note. For those of you in this place who say, well, that's just the way my daddy was, my mama was, that's the way our grandparents were. Let me say to you, do not surrender to what you consider inevitable in your life. In other words, don't just give in to it. I had someone some time ago come to me and said, well, they've always told me I'd turn out like this. My dad was like this. My, my brothers and all told me I'd be like this. So you know what? I'm just like this. No. Through the power and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in your life, you do not have to surrender and succumb to that cycle of violence, that cycle of sexual sin, that cycle of immorality in your life. You do not have to surrender to it. The power of God can speak to you and give you exactly what you need so that you say, no, I am not going into this area. God can give you the strength to run. God can give you the strength to live a life that will glorify Him. I'm not saying you're perfect, and I'm not saying that I'm perfect. I'm not saying that we can't fall into sin, but I'm saying to you, we do not have to surrender to it. Unfortunately, there were too many in David's family that just surrendered to what their father had demonstrated. They had surrendered to his example and they lived it out. In David's life, you can certainly see the Galatians principle. Remember what Paul said? He said, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Look at the sins that are committed in the household, in the palace, and they will be directly correlated with the sin of David. I'm not going to go through all of the history or all of the story, but you can just read these next few chapters. Chapter 13. Such a horrific, horrific scene in the family of David. Amnon, the son of David, develops an affection for Tamar, David's daughter. He violates her. He abuses her. What does David do? Well, the scripture says David was mad. That's all he really said. He is mad. David never addressed it. He just like he just swept it under the rug. Hey, probably would do us good to dig into these passages more one day, but for us, maybe the challenge this morning particularly is just to be reminded that we cannot sweep such devastation under the rug. And for too often in our churches, we haven't spoken out against such abuse. 
And too many families and too many churches have just tried to cover those things up. But they need to be addressed. We need to be remembering those victims who have gone through such violence and abuse in their lives. David, he is mad. He is passive. I think you see this in his relationship to his kids, is that he is passive. Jason, a, a few weeks, or really months ago, I went through a study related with men's fraternity, Robert Lewis. Some of you, I've mentioned Robert Lewis before. Some of you remember, I think, was a Rustin boy, wasn't he? Rustin High in the Hall of Fame here at Rustin. And he said that one of the things that we as men really have to look at in our lives and watch, prepare for, is passivity. Because so many of us men just want to be passive about things and just step back in our family dynamic. He actually traces the sin of Adam itself. Remember where Adam is almost like just pictured as standing back just somewhere else, off duty, while the serpent tempts Eve. Adam just fails in his responsibilities, passive. Here's David. Not stepping up to his family. And maybe he was just surrendered to inevitability in his life. May I say to you, we shouldn't be surrendered to just say, hey, that's just what the kids are doing. We shouldn't just adopt a philosophy. Well, that's just going to happen. So it's just going, I just got to let them do the thing. If you are a dad, if you are a father, you need to take the spiritual leadership of your family. And you need to step up and do what God has called you to do. Or otherwise, you'll see it continue in a downward spiral. Absalom. I'm going to talk about him more in a moment. But basically, Absalom looks at this situation. And it says that his heart just festers for two years against his brother Amnon for what he's done. Absalom loved his sister Tamar. Actually, will name a child after Tamar because he loved her so much. And Daddy didn't do anything. And as, to paraphrase one preacher, it was as though David, who uh, had the courage to fight Goliath, didn't have the courage to deal with his own family. And Absalom decided in his heart, well, if Daddy won't do something about it, I must. And you can read the story again and how sad it is. But two years later, Absalom devises a plan where he kills Amnon. Absalom then flees. He goes to Geshur to his grandfather to kind of lick his wounds for a little bit. And finally, David called for him. Oh, read that story. It says David longed for him, but David wouldn't do anything about it. For three years until some of the people around him came and said, David... Why don't you send for Absalom? So Joab goes to bring him back. And then for two years, he's basically in self-exile. That is Absalom. The king won't see him for two years. Think about this again, how passive David is. Absalom, I believe, wanting to see his daddy, wanting to see his daddy speak to him and work in his life. For two years, he isolates him, even in the city of Jerusalem. Only again until the intervention of Joab and others 
will Absalom be brought to his dad. But the seeds of bitterness had already been sown. And if you read the story, and many of you know your biblical history, Absalom begins down the path of rebellion as he leads a coup against his dad. Absalom, I said I was going to mention him just a little more, but the scripture is so clear in chapter 14, it talks about how handsome this guy was. I mean, just just an awesome individual. It says that basically there wasn't a blemish on him from his head to his toe. He was good looking. He was just the right height, maybe probably about 5'8". He was the right height. He was of the right kingly components. The scripture says he had long hair, really, really long hair. Um, one, pre- one preacher said they had found an archaeological picture of him, and basically they determined that it was like Fabio, okay? It was like Fabio. I, told, I was trying to talk to Abigail about this. I'm trying to speak younger language, and she's like, who, Fabio? I was like, give me somebody else, you know. I, but maybe like a Bobby, all this long hair. The scripture says he had to cut it every year. Why? Because his hair, get this, would weigh at least five pounds. Nobody said, ah, wow, five pounds. He had long flowing hair and he had the personality. The scripture says, go and, go, go and read it. But it basically says he sits at the gate, which oftentimes is a place where people judge cases and all and, the people would come in and Absalom would approach them in some way and he would say something to this effect. He would say, hey, I, man, I would just wish, I wish daddy had a representative here, but the king's kind of out right now and can't deal with this. And, but man, I, I can hear your heart and I can hear your case. And it sounds like if we had the right person on the throne, if, if we had the right person, you'd probably prevail. And the scripture says, that he stills the heart of the people. Stills the hearts of the people. Because when you will not deal with those family issues and you're passive and that bitterness just continues to rise up before you know it, resentment will lead to rebellion. And Absalom leads a full-fledged rebellion. David has to flee. Chapter 15 tells us that. He has to flee. And then Absalom, of course, in the battle with David's army. You remember this vivid picture. It says Absalom is fleeing. And as he is fleeing, he goes under this terebinth tree and the hair itself is caught. And he is hanging there. No one will touch him because he is still the king's son. They go back and they report to Joab and they tell him. And Joab says, why didn't you kill him? Because he is the king's son. They have heard the king's heart. They don't, David doesn't want him to die. But Joab, how ironic is this that Joab the one who orchestrated the murder of Uriah is the one who takes the life of the young Absalom and gives the order to those ten men around him 
to plunge their knives in. You want to talk about consequences? You want to talk about pain? You want to talk about the difficulty? John W. Lawrence wrote this about David and that idea of reaping what you sow. He said, When David sowed to the flesh, he reaped what the flesh produced. Moreover, he reaped the consequences of his actions, even though he had confessed his sin and been forgiven for it. Underline it. Star it. Make it deep, deeply upon your conscious mind. Confession and forgiveness in no way stop the harvest. He had sown. He was to reap. Forgiven he was, but the consequences continued. This is exactly the emphasis Paul is giving the Galatians. Even in this age of grace, we are not to be deceived. For God will not be mocked. What we sow, we will reap. And there are no exceptions. Early Jewish and Christian tradition actually spoke of the fourfold punishment of David. Do you remember when David had pronounced the judgment upon that rich man in the story, the rich man who had taken the little ewe lamb? And David had said, that man will pay fourfold. Some people look at the death of the young child, the death of Amnon, the death of Absalom, and later, over in 1 Kings, as Solomon kills his brother Adonijah, all four die. And he sees his own prophecy fulfilled and the pain. David will express it this way in 2 Samuel chapter 18, 33. Oh, my son Absalom. My son, my son Absalom. If only I had died in your place. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. I say this to you this morning and give you this message. Because in some ways I pray that God's word as it is spoken to you today will sober you to the reality of the consequences of sin. I pray in some ways it will recommit us recommit us to plan for purity like I talked about a couple of weeks ago. That it will recommit us to run when sin comes our way. That we'll flee what has come at us. I pray that it will help us to avoid those kinds of, any kind of sin that tries to tempt us into immorality. To remove ourselves from it. And to know this, the only way we can really live with such consequences is through God's power and God's strength in our lives. Folks, so many of us in this place this morning could talk about how we've messed up. And yes, don't think you're alone. I'm talking about a lot of us in this place this morning. Every individual family 
has experienced hurt and pain and sin. Every individual family. We could talk about that. We could talk about the consequences we still see. We could just give in, as I said earlier, to that it's just inevitable for our family, our lives. But you know what? We could confess our sins. We could see forgiveness. True forgiveness comes spiritually. And we could ask God for the strength and the grace to live each day in purity and to live with the strength we need to face what has already occurred. Scars, they may remain. But if there is a scar, don't forget, healing has taken place. My friends, healing still needs to take place in our hearts and lives. Would we, would we hear God's message and would we respond in his way? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. God, no doubt this is heavy stuff for us. And yet, God, we are, are just honest with you this morning that everyday life can be heavy for us. And when we come into this place, we don't come in just to be emotionally moved. Father, we come in to be transformed so that when we go out into the heavy stuff of the world that you have prepared us and that you are speaking to us. God, we know that tomorrow Satan is going to target some of the folks sitting here on these pews. And he's going to make that temptation look so nice and so fun and so exciting that they'll be tempted to forget about the consequences. But God, I pray you take this message and that you just impress it and re-impress it upon our hearts and lives. And Lord, through the scars we bear and through the consequences that it would be used to remind us that sin, it's not worth it. It's not worth it for the pain and the difficulty it brings. Father, we pray for believers today, those in this place, who would be able to come and confess their sin and see fellowship with you restored and see the strength to live through those consequences. Father, for the ones who are lost in this place, and there are some, there are no doubt individuals who are lost, that you would bring them so that they can begin and you walk with you and they can know what life and forgiveness and cleansing is. God, speak to us. Use this invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?